Welcome to the Iowa Agronomy Update, where we talk all things agronomics. I'm your host, Brent Schwinnaker, and this podcast is brought to you by Asgro DeKalb Brand Seeds. Hey, everyone, and welcome to our second episode of the Iowa Agronomy Update. Thanks to everyone that subscribed and listened to our, our podcast and our first episode. Uh, we recorded our first episode about 12 days ago, and so uh, we'd like to thank and welcome everybody back. So we got a lot of great feedback, and so thus here we are today to, to proceed forward. Today, uh, for today's podcast, we have technical agronomist Scott Johnson and Nicole Steckline with us for our discussion. Welcome and good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Brent. Hey, Brent. Hey, guys. So, uh, so today uh, we, um, if you guys just wanted to give us a quick idea of of your general uh, territories that you cover, just to give our listeners a, a good idea of of where your perspectives may be coming from, uh, what part of the state. So, Scott, we'll go with you. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Scott Johnson. I uh, I uh, actually hail out of uh, Beeman, Iowa, and I cover. Southeast and in South Central Iowa. Okay. Nicole? Yeah, so I cover the east side of Northeast Iowa. Um, so go up to the Minnesota border. So we'll deal with 1-4 beans to a 2-7 or a 2-8 for the most part. Um, and then I don't, thankfully, I don't have to go uh, far enough west to get into the Des Moines lobe and have to deal with iron chlorosis. So I, I'm kind of off the hook on that one. Yeah. So, are are you considering yourself lucky? Is that what you're saying, Nicole? Or oh, absolutely. That's okay. one less agronomic thing that I have to for. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could I could sense the tone. So, uh, so here we are. Uh, we we recorded our first episode 12 days ago, and we had um, Jim McDermott and John Swalwell on with us, and and we were we were at a point 12 days ago where we had a lot of anxious. A lot of anxious farmers at that point, ready to get in the field, and, and unfortunately, we're pretty much sitting, pretty much sitting in the same boat. You know, Scott, maybe you know, did you? You'd be the only territory maybe that's on this podcast. That did you have anybody sneak into the field here uh, last week or not? Yeah, we, yeah, we did. We had, uh, you know, it, it, we're actually been fairly dry in parts of southeast Iowa. In fact, uh, there's parts of south central southeast Iowa they've been on the drought monitor here for a while so so yeah we had uh, some field activity going on some sure. uh, some anhydrous getting pulled on and, and uh, there's even oh. you know, there's even a little bit of seed corn that got put in the ground wow, consider yourself lucky week, so. I guess because the other parts of the the state that are digging out of a foot of snow so lucky lucky you guys but that I think that kind of ties into a question that we had come in uh, on on Twitter and we we're using our hashtag ask Iowa agronomy and and use that hashtag to submit any questions or topics you may have so our first question comes in is really ties right into that so with with potential wet and cold planting conditions what specific seedling diseases should we be on the lookout for Scott we'll turn it to you okay sure so so yeah obviously you know if you know you know, although we've been dry in parts of southeast Iowa, the, the probably the bigger part of the state has been been cool and wet. So, I kind of understand to understand why there'd be some concern as far as what diseases might be out there. But, but truthfully, you know, if you look at most planting gear or planting seasons, we've got at least one window in there where we'll run across um, some really tough emergence conditions. 
last year we ran across it in, in the last week of April, first part of May, but it's, it's, you know, it's really part of the landscape, but you know, if I'm, if I'm uh, thinking about what, you know, growers could run across, uh, one of the things I guess I would start thinking about would be, uh, um, with cool, wet conditions, sometimes we can call run into some, into some symptomology called, uh, uh, seedling blight or, or dampening off. And, uh, really dampening off isn't it isn't a disease it's it's really symptomology uh there's there's uh, a handful of diseases that can cause it uh but many growers may have seen it before dampening off basically occurs when the hypo of the plant uh gets a soft rot in it hypocotyl would be part of the part of the soybean seedling that's that's pulling the uh, cotyledons up from the soil to the surface and uh once the cotyledons are up it's 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 basically supporting those cotyledons but um like I said, it's a soft rot. If you hold the, the plant by the, that hypocotyl and squeeze that stem, it sometimes gets soft mm-hmm. and mushy, almost kind of snotty-like. Um, it can discolor and kind of turn a purple, but the end result's the mm-hmm. same. The end result is, is a dead seedling. Um, and there's there's really four diseases that can cause that. There's Rhexoctonia, uh, Fusarium, Pythium, and Pythothera. But really cool wet conditions pythium is is the one that becomes generally the the, the leading suspect uh pythium likes likes cool wet conditions generally soil temperatures uh less than 60 degrees um fields that may have more of an issue are those ones that are poorly drained or, or parts of the fields that are part, poorly drained um there's just more moisture there high residue fields are sometimes have more issues uh just because they stay cooler longer um so, um, but like I said, that'd be one of the diseases that I would, I would kind of keep in the back of my head, especially if I saw, uh, parts of, uh, the field where I see seedlings that have tried to come up, maybe made it out of the ground and then sure. basically shrunk back down. Or yeah. So I, I think the key thing you, um, you kind of mentioned there is, you know, those soil temperatures under 60 degrees. And I, I, I foresee those conditions lasting for a fair number of days here yet into, into next week even. So. Yep. And there's, and there's ways a guy can get around a, a, a good uh, seed treatment for, for uh, Pythium is, you know, that that's, that's really what sure. the doctor orders for that. So, you know, with the seller online of, of seed treatments, they've got an excellent uh, fungicide package. So if I'm going out into those cool wet conditions, I, I want to be protected. I'm going to be using a, a, a premier uh, uh, seed treatment. That's got a got an outstanding fungicide sure. package. Well, good. Well, out. so that's, um... That uh, that really gets to the our point of the question and is really timely as far as what what we're going to be looking at here the next next week or week and a half probably uh, looking at the long range forecast. But but let's let's get started on our our episode two topic and you know episode one we really focused in on corn and a lot of management topics there and and for episode two we thought we'd really switch gears and go to soybeans and and really talk through some of these decisions and roadmap for high yield management and, and maybe just pick your guys' brains on, on what you guys are seeing in your territories or, or what's becoming more, more of the normal for our soybean management moving forward. So if we think along those terms and that topic, Nicole, you know, what, what's the one thing you're looking for when it comes to high yield soybean management? First and foremost, I mean, obviously, um, varieties, but when it comes to actual management decisions, I would say planting date. 
you know, un- unlike corn, a soybean is limited the most by the amount of sunlight that it can capture. So our goal throughout the entire season of that soybean is to help it increase or maximize the amount of sunlight that it can capture throughout the season. So I think that planting date is first and foremost on my mind as far as that goes, um, just because that plant will focus on vegetative growth and adding more leaves and more nodes up until we get to flowering, which is going to occur around June 21st. And then it's going to start also putting some energy and growth towards that reproductive cycle. So then we have, we aren't going to have as much vegetative growth, um, after June 21st. So the earlier we can plant that bean, the better off we're going to be. Yeah. And then that, that also ties into what populations are we going to put them at? So if we continue to think about maximizing basically the amount of leaf area or how much sun we can capture, um, it, it almost goes backwards to what you think about is the earlier that we, the earlier we plant, we want to keep the populations lower. Because then that means that those plants will compete for each other for space for longer. And then they're stretching out and they're competing more. But as we get later, you know, I guess in my area, Northeast Iowa, when I think about later soybean planting, I'm thinking about, you know, mid to late May. That's when I want to start dropping those or that's when I want to start increasing those populations because I can no longer maximize my sunlight capturing factory by growth i have to maximize it by having as many plants as possible yeah that's uh that's a good point nicole so when we think about you know we we tend to think about late late planting dates and if we get we get stuck into corn planting and and what you know we get into later may and think about how do we maximize that vegetative growth I think you mentioned that more let those let those seedlings compete against each other to force themselves closer to the sun, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I'm I, I would say, you know, everybody would think, okay, I'm gonna plant really early, so then I will, you know, I'll put more seeds out there because I am assuming that I'm going to lose stand. Well, A, if you're gonna plant into a situation where you're assuming that you're gonna have plant loss you know, may, maybe wait for a different day or make sure that you have as much treatment on there to protect that seedling as possible. Um, but if, if we have too many in there early, then they get, I don't want to say too much growth. It's just that there's too much, there's too much competition. Right. So the earlier you're planting, that's when you're going to go on your lower populations. And then as you go throughout the season, um, changing to uh, switching your population, increasing it so that you can uh, increase the amount of leaf area that you have out there by having more plants. Um, And just having that be your focus is always capturing as much sunlight as possible. So, you know, Nicole touched on plant populations, Uh, Scott, what, um, what's the general, what's the general theme or where, where, where are we at on general planting populations on soybeans uh, today in, in your area? Yeah, yeah. Uh, as, far as, as far as plant populations, Brent. Okay, yeah. I, I guess uh, just as rates. I mean, uh, you know, we're. I mean, we we've kind of run trials before, and and uh, you know, we're still dropping. You know, one hundred forty, uh, uh, not one hundred fifty thousand, but but to to 
to uh, Nicole's point, you know, we, we know we can support higher yield at lower population, but we're still putting some extra seed out there for wherever we might be losing stand, uh, you know, through, during the growing season. So, but, uh, you know, when we get in, in the parts of Southern now, we got some areas that have got some, some lighter soils there in, in or, or side hills or, or places where we, you know, we, we struggle to get top growth. Those places we're probably still going to be pushing, pushing populations a little bit higher. Uh, just uh, like I said, we're, you know, to Nicole's point, we're kind of, you know, trying to, trying to inter, 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 intercept sunlight. That's really what's making yield. That's sure. you know, the, the main component of yield or one of the main components. So uh, those areas. Yeah, so we're, we, we're bumping you know, we, up, we spend a lot areas. of time on, on corn management and population and matching, matching up the right population with the right hybrid. But when we get into soybean varieties, you know, we seem to, th- seem to stick with, um, you know, the same, same population across all of our acres. Is, is there a point here where in you, Scott, you kind of touched on it, you know, a little bit, watch your environments, watch where you might be losing stand. I think Nicole said, you know, can, can soybean scripting start to play a, a larger role in, in these, in some of these environments? You know, we've always talked about variable rate scripting and, and mainly people generally tend to lean towards uh towards corn but can can we start to think about you know lowering that population in your higher productive ground maybe bringing that population up uh in some of your lower productive ground to to gain more leaf area like nicole said i think that the soybeans are such a unique animal and their ability to compensate for a loss of population Um, as well as their ability to both lose and gain yield um, after flowering has been initiated, I think that that leaves a lot more questions on how do we make these population considerations. Because on on corn, it seems like it's a lot easier because there's not as much fluctuation in in how each individual plant responds. Um, So soybeans are just, there's a lot more factors that go to it. But I think that with all the information that we're able to gather and all the information that we're gathering on our different varieties, we're going to really be able to start making a template for that. Okay. I, you know, Nicole, you'd probably be the closest. I know you mentioned you don't get quite get into the low, but, you know, we, we do hear of some instances where guys are, are, basically doing dual variety products into the lobe. So you got your different susceptible versus uh, resistant varieties that do better in those iron chlorosis areas. And you do see some scripting in in that sense, but uh, maybe not so much for population wise is what you're saying. Yep. And although this year uh, we will be working with climate and with a couple of climate enabled growers to do some population studies on the soybeans. So like I said, with the data that, that we are capturing, I think that we're going to be able to gather some more information and create some trends for that. Great. Thanks, Nicole. So Scott, I think you touched on it a little bit earlier and really around variety selection. So, you know, most everybody's probably got most of their varieties uh, picked out, ordered, maybe even delivered at this point. You know, what, you know, what were some key things, you know, if they don't have them delivered yet, what are some key things when you're thinking about choosing the right variety for your area? 
Well, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, because you know, yield is is obviously what pays the bills. But but yield if if you can't support that yield by fighting off or have defensive you know the right defensive traits, you're, you're not going to get very far. So. If I'm picking varieties, I'm really looking at the environment I'm going in. You know, we talked a little bit about disease early, earlier. Uh, for, you know, a lot of us in the state of Iowa and, in, and maybe more so in parts of southeast Iowa, cool wet conditions are also pretty conducive for sudden death. And that's one of the factors that I'm looking at when we're looking at high-yield environments, at least, at least in, in, in our in our world down this part. This way is, is that... Uh, like I said, I've got to have those the, those defensive traits there as well, especially if I'm going in those those fields that are prone for sudden death, or uh, if you're other parts of Isle, if it's if it's if it's white mold or uh, uh, brown stem rot, whatever it is, you really need to yeah. kind of match that. Nicole, that anything from you? That, anything field. different from you that you'd be looking for in that variety selection? I think the the biggest thing is, I. When we look at corn, a lot of times people think, oh, defensive versus offensive. But, in, you know, when you look at soybeans, having good agronomic, not defensive, but agronomic traits does not mean that that variety is going to be limited on yield. It's all about picking out what are your key risks. You know, if you know that you have a white mold field, I think, I think anybody that deals with white mold year in and year out knows that you got to go genetics first. Um, as far as having a tolerance to that and then go with whatever management decisions that you can there. But um, picking for the agronomics on that field first and then and then going from there. Yeah, so really both both of you guys really brought up a couple topics that really, in all in all fairness, probably deserve its own its own podcast episode. You know, Scott, you brought up SDS. You are probably the hotbed of SDS in for the state of Iowa. Nicole, uh, you're probably the hotbed for, for white mold. And so those are two things that, that are obviously the top of, top of mind when it comes to managing for, for soybeans there, that's for sure. Uh, so let's, let's get in, let's give us a quick sneak peek, you know, give me, give me a couple varieties that you, you guys are anxious to get out in the field and see some performance on uh, that uh, we'll be getting into plots this year. Uh, Scott, we'll start in the South. You'll probably be getting the field first. So what, what's a couple newer varieties that you've got your eye on down South? So, so for us, like I said, we're uh, as our new varieties, you know, uh, a lot of our, our new products are still going to be in that, that, group two maturity so uh on the fuller end of things we're we're pretty excited about looking at uh uh 28x9s and and the 30x9s uh both those have, have are showing you know tremendous yield potential uh they've got a good uh agronomic package around them when we think of things like like sudden death and and just overall uh, uh structure of the plan as far as sustainability and whatnot so uh we're pretty excited there on the on the on you know the fuller season group twos when you get into the three o's we're we, we're pretty stout there already uh there we don't uh, have a lot of new products there for 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 you know that'll be in plots this year for 2019 but products like 36 x6s and, and 33 uh, uh x8s uh are still you know going to be kind of the stronghold for stronghold for us when we get into those group uh, three beans okay as far as yield thanks and, scott and how about the nicole on, how about a little bit earlier than a two eight what are you uh, looking forward to seeing up north 
So I think that once again, our, our top beans are that 20 X seven, which has been our super high yielder and the 24 X seven, which is a two, four, um, both those beans are good on sudden death, so we're, we're pretty well covered that way. Both very high-yielding soybeans. Um, what I'm looking forward to really is seeing in plots this year is our new class of X9 beans. Um, they're giving us a heck of a lot of soybeans to look at. And even before we look at the yield performance that the breeders have put in front of us for these soybeans, like Scott and I both mentioned, it's so much about fitting those agronomics to what the risks are in the field. And when I look at the agronomic ratings on particularly the 24 X nine and the 25 X nine coming down the line, I think that these two beans in particular, they really hit heavy on what our biggest issues are here in Northeast Iowa, which would be white mold and sudden death. Um, the standability on these beans look really good and we are not going to give up a penny on yield. So as far as what we're looking for, for our new beans coming out, um, man, I'm, I'm really excited to get them in the ground so I can take a look at them in the plots. Yeah. So you mentioned the X9 class, and maybe it's a little clarification there on what X9 is. So the, basically the last two digits of our variety name would be the uh, extend for our extend uh, dicamba tolerant soybeans and uh, the nine would be the newest class of launch uh, that you'll see in, in plots this year so you mentioned 20x7 that would be a product that would have been launched uh, two years ago uh, uh, so out out for the last couple of years and, and really getting a strong foothold there uh, in northern Iowa so thanks you guys so uh, as we move out the door with some of these products, uh, you, you've touched on a couple, a couple management, uh, especially SDS, you know, Scott, what, um, you know, what are you doing for any seed treatment packages there that you're, you're using to help uh, withstand some of that SDS tolerance? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I, I guess one of the things that's, that's become, uh, pretty common, especially in in Southeast Iowa or anywhere in Iowa, really, where, where SDS is is a concern, is is a product called Olivo. Um, we've we've seen that for for a couple, or we've seen the product for a couple years now, um, and even last year. You know, last year was one of the you know we, we see sudden death every year. Last year it was around, but it wasn't as prevalent. Um, but it, even with not showing outward leaf symptoms of the disease. Uh, where we were looking at side-by-sides and strips uh, with and without the product, we we're still seeing three to five bushel advantage. Um, and that's because that, that the disease is still there. You know, it's uh, SDS is a uh, 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 fusarium fungus that attacks the plant at the root. Um, and so even though uh, the dot were appearance were, you know, which we typically see when that, that, that top of the plant is not actually showing, is not the disease, it's the result of, of the fungus on the roots as that plant uh, brings nutrients and moisture up through the plant and sends it to the, to the leaves as when uh, it's sending that, you know, it's sending a toxin uh, from those roots. But so we know that the fungus is there. It's just not always immediate evident at the, at the, at the leaf level or above the surface. And, uh, we're still getting nice control of that. Of, of yeah. SDS we're we're nice starting to, with, starting with to hear a lot of that product move move further west and even into areas where where we typically don't see those what you mentioned the the above ground symptoms of SDS so we're there's there's probably more symptomology there than what what a guy realizes is that what you're saying yeah 
Nicole, how about on your end? What exactly? Uh, what yep. are you What are you recommending out the door for seed treatment packages uh, up in your neck of the woods? So, I mean, obviously, fungicide, insecticide, especially for the guys that are going to be, you know, going for that yield and trying to get the beans in early, knowing how important that is. Um, Alevo, you know, it seemed like a couple years ago, sudden death wasn't really heard of in my far northeast territory. It was white mold for those guys. And then two years ago, those beans just got smacked with sudden death on guys that have never hardly seen it before in their lifetime. So especially with all those rotated fields, those bean fields that got smacked with sudden death are coming back into beans this next year. So I am, you know, Scott Johnson, give, give you an air five right here because I'm all about the illegal on that as well. Oh, that's a, and then, you a, know, a podcast um, first here, an air five. How about that? <laughs> but then, you know, when we do that earlier planting, you know, most of our soil pests like it cool and wet too. Um, as those soils dry up and warm up, those pests go further down into the soil where they can be more comfortable. So the earlier we plant, that's why we have, we're at higher risk for, for insects. So having that insecticide on there on the treatment. And then like we talked about before with the Pythium, Phytophthora, Fusarium, Rhizoctonia, you know, also the importance of, of having that, um, that fungicide on the seed as well. Great. No, you guys got some great insights here from and from your parts of the the state that really that really go after those <clears throat> that those diseases. So once once we get in the ground here, uh, we get going. Uh, what what are you looking for uh, for any in season decisions that that will still be able to affect your your high yield management of your soybeans? Foliar fungicide. Ah, fungicide. <laughs> yeah, the one thing, and I, there's there's pockets. It seems like throughout Iowa that they just don't spray fungicide on soybeans. Uh, for myself here in Northeast Iowa, I think that fungicide on soybeans is an easier economic decision to make than fungicide on corn, because I see it work more often, year in and year out, more consistently on soybeans. And in my mind, it is an absolute no brainer. Yeah. And I think, I mean, a lot of that plays into the economics, right? I mean, it only, it only takes about, you know, depending upon your, your, your cash price, you know, probably three bushel ish, uh, return, uh, to get that, that fungicide paid for. Are, are you looking to throw an insecticide with that fungicide or not? I mean, obviously we don't want to go out there and just make indiscriminate applications of insecticides. That being said, um, the insecticide and the fungicide do seem to work well together and increase the consistency of our results with that application. Um, but we also have to, you know, when it comes to the timing of that fungicide application, if I'm aware of aphids that are starting to move in, um, it makes me less likely to put an insecticide in there because I don't want to kill off the beneficials that would be predatory to those, um, to those soybean aphids and increase my risk of having aphids coming into that field. And then also weather. So if I am getting into a droughty situation and we have a risk of spider mites, uh, pyrethroid insecticide is the last thing you want to put on that field. Um, so if you have good conditions, you don't have those other things and you've got all these other small populations of other um, economic pests, you know, absolutely throw that insecticide in. It's going to increase the consistency of your return on that fungicide application, 
But if you have some of those other things that you need to consider, you know, definitely do your scouting, um, do your information gathering to help make that decision. Great. Scott, how about you? Any, anything different there in, in Southern Iowa that you're looking for in season? Well, you know, yeah, uh, obviously, like like Nicole said, fungicide is still, you know, I think that's kind of one of those things that uh, um, I'm with her. I think that there's a lot of guys that uh, probably need to take a look at it. They may not have looked at it for a while and, and see the, that there's, you know, what kind of benefits it can bring to their operation. Probably the other place I'm looking here is, is especially if a guy's got extend beans out there is, is uh, you know, is it, making taking a look at, at the extend herbicide system. Um, you know, their weeds are getting tougher to kill it all the time. Water hemp is, 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 seems like it gets meaner every year. So it gives me, uh, if I, if I'm looking at a, at a system, that'd be one of the places I, I would look that, uh, a place to increase yield. You know, I'm not uh, going out burning beans, trying to control, uh, those, uh, keep those tough to curl, control weeds down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the beans are and happier and they're happier. Yeah, they're, uh, they're Scott, yielding again, more. it's all uh, about it's a nice keeping system. those leaves there. Um, when I think about guys going out and making a first application of a burner, when those beans are only about at V3, man, it knocks those beans down for about a week. And we've just lost all of that good vegetative growth opportunity. And like we've been saying this whole time, that's the exact opposite of what you want to be doing. Yeah, that's that's good good points, you guys, and and really spot on there as far as fungicide, insecticide goes, and or any in season decisions for that matter. Uh, so we're we're coming up on our on our thirty minutes here, our target time. Uh, any any last comments from from uh, either one of you guys? I know Nicole, you had uh, you had uh, posted something on Twitter earlier in the week about. Uh, the extend extend a max system and cropping system and some benefits there. I didn't know if you wanted to maybe touch on that uh, real quick before we left or not. Yeah. I mean, if, if you'll allow me to harp and hop up on my soapbox again on the early planting um, you know, you are ahead of the game. If you're planning on planting extend soybeans this year, because other herbicides are not as good at hitting those um, winter annual weeds, which are out there and they're just waiting. So um, it would be my thought that you go out there and you get the beans in the ground and then you come back and you have the opportunity to hit those winter annual weeds with an Extendamax with vapor grip application so that we can knock those out. We aren't hurting the beans and we've got them taken care of in a relatively timely fashion. My other point before we wrap up um, is... Okay, I forgot. Are you able to uh, <laughs> to edit that out? Nope. Okay. All right. Well, it just came back to my head. It's nitrogen applications. So um, <laughs> when we get in season, everybody wants to know about, well, should I put nitrogen on my beans? Nitrogen early on beans, I say no, um, because if that plant is getting nitrogen from the soil, it does not need to give up sugars to a beneficial organism that will fix nitrogen for it. I say if you're going to put nitrogen on there, it's going to be when you're having pod fill because a soybean takes a 60 to 80 bushel soybean crop uses more nitrogen than a 230 bushel corn crop. So beans need nitrogen, but they need them at the right time. 
Yeah, I'd agree. It's something we've done some research on here at the Learning Center and seen some interesting results on anyway the last couple of years. So, Scott, any any final words from you before we wrap up? No, I'd, uh, I guess I just want to wish everybody that's uh, going to head out, head out to the field here. In a, in a yeah, I, I would agree. I, a, a safe spring I think everybody's and, a little and, anxious, but I think, uh, looking uh, forward to meeting I think uh, we're kind of wrap up the same way as, as we did a week and a half ago is, you know, just stay calm. Uh, let's uh, don't panic. We can, we've got the equipment to get a lot of this crop in the ground at a, at a decent, decent speed. And, and I say, don't, don't rush it. Make sure your conditions are right versus don't let the, don't let the calendar worry you yet. So anyway, so thank, thank you, Scott. Thank you, Nicole air, air fives to both of you for a <laughs> job well done. So thanks a lot. And, and uh, we'll be, we'll be looking for any questions that you may have our listeners or any topics that you want to hear us talk about here in the Iowa agronomy update. Uh, submit those questions using the hashtag ask Iowa agronomy and you can hit, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook or however you see fit. So thank you guys. And we'll see you next time. All right. Signing out.